It is now my joint pleasure to introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, Paul and Sue, they have become dear friends to our church, and uh, they've been visiting South Africa for the last 10 years. Originally from the UK, um, moved to America, suffering for Jesus for 15 years in America. They still kept the accent. Well done. And... Uh, Back in the UK now, uh, Paul leads a Global Legacy, which is a network of uh, revival churches. He also travels around uh, teaching and training on administration and governance. Paul has a, good of, uh, has a gift of administration and a gift of governance. And they have been married for many years. They have two sons and two granddaughters, grandsons. Wow. Amen. Let's welcome Paul as he comes to bring the word. Thank you. Good morning. I do like coming here. We, we, we both genuinely love coming to South Africa and uh, particularly here. This is, uh, this is a place that we feel increasingly just at home and comfortable. Um, I'm going to try and do a couple of very quick things before I start preaching and then I'll, I'll try not to hit you too hard with my preach too fast. But uh, uh, because I just heard a testimony of somebody healed of cancer um, the last time we were here which you're going to hear a, a whole load more about. It's, it's a breakthrough. Um, but if there's anyone here with cancer, I just want to make sure that we pray for you this morning if you have cancer in your body. Anyone here with cancer? I just want to make sure. I just couldn't, I can't not pray for cancer this morning. <laughs> okay, somebody standing up somewhere? Stand up with you or, there we go. It's interesting, the last time we were here, the person didn't want to stand up either, but they got healed. I mean, if you knew you were going to get healed for certain, you would jump on a chair. Like, you'd go, this is done. Anyone, just one person? Is there anyone else? This is some, not that young boy. I hope it's not that young boy. But if it is, Jesus could heal him. Is there anyone you have a, um, a, I feel like as a mother, somebody's got a mother with cancer. Is someone with a mother with cancer and you're really concerned? Is there anyone here? Is that you? You're really concerned. Jump, just jump up. Come, just come down the front. I want to just hold your hand. As the Beatles once said. <laughs> Most of you are too young for that joke. Wrong country, wrong continent. Jesus, take care of that lady's cancer. And I pray that you would take care of the cancer in this uh, young lady's mother's life. Cancer be gone in these two lives. Every trace. Just the same as that testimony we just heard. Every trace of cancer. And Father, may this house be famous for the healing of cancer. May it become famous for it, not in a you know, worldly fame, but bringing fame to you, God, as a place where people come and cancer is destroyed. Take care of these two people. And I pray peace to this beautiful young daughter of the king, that she will just walk in peace and that even the next time she's with her mother, she'll lay this hand on her mother and every trace of cancer will leave her body in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, you're about to start uh, this uh, campaign, you call it. Uh, I've been trying to work out other words you could spell from this, but there's not very many. Um, my first book was, starts with the first three, What on Earth? You just need an IG for His Glory. That was, that was okay. Because I was imagining the youth would come in here and move the words around and spell something different. But um, anyway, but uh, it's, uh, it's just a great campaign of discovering what on earth you're here for. 
uh, why are you alive? And uh, Simon wrote to me a few weeks ago and said, would you mind um, you, you know, kicking this off, so to speak? And I actually like it when people ask me to preach on something. And uh, I, I just want to use these three chairs as, as an illustration um, and uh, just talk to you. You matter to God is the title of this week's. You matter to God. And there is one God. He's three in one, so there's three chairs stacked as one. Sometimes you look and you see three. Sometimes you look and you see one. But there is one God, and you matter to Him. You matter to Him so much that He created you, and He created this beautiful world, God the Father. You matter to Him so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, so that you would be restored in relationship with God the Father. And Jesus left us precious Holy Spirit so that we would have everything we need for this life and for all eternity. God the Father, Creator, and He made you in His image. You matter to Him. God the Father sent His Son Jesus because we had gone our own way, separated ourselves from relationship with God, So God the Father sent His Son Jesus so that we could be restored in relationship with the Father. You matter to Him. And Jesus left us His Holy Spirit so that we would not be alone, that we would have everything we need and that we would walk in this life with Him and we would have power and authority as we walk through this life. You matter to Him that much. And that is the gospel It's the simple, beautiful, stunning gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is what I call my gospel. Now don't get nervous. It's not my interpretation of truth. It is my experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ flowing through my life. And every one of you has a my gospel. Every one of you. You all do. It's it's the good news. It's the effect of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. It's not a version of truth. It's just what happens when he flows through you. You have a gospel, my gospel. And uh, Jesus took the word gospel, actually, from the culture of the day, and it would have been an announcement which a king would have made on return from war. And gospel means good news. It would have been an announcement on return from war because if the king didn't come back, there was no good news, if you think about it. He didn't make it. And so, the gospel. And the gospel is this. The enemy's been defeated. Your past has been overcome. The enemy's been defeated and Jesus promises us a better today. Just as the kings of old would say, the enemy's been defeated. Today is going to be better and we promise you a better future. It's the gospel. The enemy's been defeated. You have a better today and the promise of a great future. It's the gospel. And every one of you has a gospel. And every one of you has a past because the gospel is a past. The gospel is a present. And the gospel is a future. I'm glad they chose light chairs. Otherwise, this would be a workout this morning. You have a past. You came in here with a past. You are hopefully present. Some of you are less present than others, probably. You haven't had as much coffee yet. But you are present and you have a future. And of course, a beautiful verse in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bring you a hope and a future. But there are challenges for us. You see, our past 
How we view our past will affect us. This is the only place I can do anything from, being present. I, I can remember my past. I can dream and plan for the future. But there's a problem. You know, some people, their heads are filled with regret and they're sitting in the past. And they're not fully present. And to live in regret is to have a past without victory or value. And that's a lie. You see, you matter to God. You matter. He's taking care of your past. He will redeem your past. Not only that, he will also take your victories from the past and he will repeat them in the present. But you have to be present to do that. You see, if I'm not present, I'm over here with my head in regret. And I'm thinking of what I could have, what I should have, what I wish I had, and what I didn't do. I took my youngest son a few years ago to Brazil for the Soccer World Cup. It was a trip of a lifetime. Um, it was the worst England performance of a lifetime probably, but let's not dwell there too much. And while I was there, my son wanted to go and see Christ the Redeemer, the statue. And I just use it as a simple illustration. We went and saw Christ the Redeemer. It wasn't, it wasn't the city we were going to, but we went to Rio and we saw Christ the Redeemer. And together we, we, we just fulfilled a dream together. Why do I mention that? Because if we hadn't gone, every time I mentioned Brazil, I'd be thinking, I wish I'd gone to see Christ the Redeemer. Many of us live our lives like that, thinking of what we didn't do, what we should have done, what we could have done. And so we live in regret and we embrace a life, a past, without victory or value. And that's a lie. And, and then there's our future. Your future matters to God. Just the same as your past matters to God, your future matters to God. The wonderful thing is, he's already seen it. Your prophetic words are actually encounters with a God who knows your future. You have a future. Whether you get it from your personal dreams, prophetic words, reading the word of God, you have a future. And God's invested in your future. He's seen it. In fact, he comes back and whispers in your ear, I've seen your future. You're looking good. You're going to do some things you never would have dreamed. You're going to go some places. You're going to meet some people. I've seen your future, but here's the problem. Some of us, instead of being present, are sitting with fear of the future. And our minds are occupied with fear instead of being present. We're trying to be present, but it's like, ah, oh, I'm afraid of the future, and I'm trying to work out the future. And fear is to imagine a future without God in it. And that's a lie. And it's actually impossible. But it's easy to get there. I understand it. I really do. So fear is to imagine a future without God in it. And it means that I'm not present. I'm not here. You see, you matter to God. He wants you present. He wants to be with you. So there's some people who try to be present and they live in regret. There's some people who try to be present and they live in fear. And there are others. And they're behind the chair. They're behind the chair because they're living lives of comparison and shame. They're comparing themselves to someone else. And they're living in shame and thinking, I'm not as valuable in the kingdom. I'm not as good looking as someone else. The side of the town I come from, my hair, my looks, my house, my car, my family, my family name, my family reputation, the job I do is not as significant 
as the preacher on a Sunday. And so we live in shame and we compare ourselves. And the worst thing we can do when we compare ourselves is to try and be someone else. And that means that we're not present. You see, shame and comparison is to imagine a present without me in it or you in it. And these are the battles we face because being present is the only place we can do anything from. You see, you matter so much to God that you are just as the story in Genesis. Adam, where are you? Why aren't you present? Why aren't you here? I want you present. You matter to God. He wants you present. And he said to Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you you needed to cover up? Who told you you needed to hide in shame? Who told you you needed to compare yourself with someone else? And so we live lives of regret with a past without victory or value. Or we live lives of fear, imagining a future without God in it. Or we live lives of shame and comparison, a present without me in it. And I'm going to come back to these in a moment and just pray for some people. Before I do that, you see, I believe that this world is hungry for something. This world is hungry for believers, for Christians, to have some qualities. The first one is this. How many of you believe your story? See, in many respects, this is what this theme's about. What on earth am I here for? It's about believing your story. It's easy to believe mine. You can listen to mine and and hear that, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I've traveled there and I lived in California. I worked in prison. I worked as a nurse. I've seen these wonderful things. And you think, I believe your story. Well, you know what? The real challenge is you to believe yours. See, mine's taken. But yours isn't. Yours is ready to be grabbed hold of. And when you believe your story, it's where your authority comes from. See, when you're comparing yourself with someone else, you're thinking what you don't have. But when you believe your story, it's where your authority comes from. It's why I had to pray for cancer. Once I'd heard that story, it's like, yeah, that happened when we were here. I'm not, it wasn't about me, but on the other hand, it kind of was. It's this great tension of, we were here, we prayed. Yes, could somebody else have prayed and that person get healed? Yes, but we were here. I have to believe my story. It's not arrogance. It's just saying, I believe that God the healer can flow through me. And it's about you believing the same thing. What does this world need? It needs Christians who have authority. Believe your story. But then there's more the present. How well do you know you? You see, God knows you. But sometimes we don't know ourselves. You know, when you know you, it's where your confidence comes from. You see, when you know, if you're good at something, you walk into the room and something happens. Something changes. When you know you, you have confidence. There are some things I can do and teach. And it's like, I have confidence about it. I can help church leaders with some stuff. And it's like, I have confidence. I I know that they will get breakthrough in some areas. It's not arrogance. It's confidence. You see, when you know you. When you know what you're good at, you know what your strengths are, you know what it is that you do that God shows up for, that's where your confidence comes from. The world is looking for Christians with authority and confidence. See, this is this. It's like, what on earth am I here for? Yeah, when I find out, I have confidence. I also believe in the fivefold. 
Body, soul, spirit, wallet, relationship. You weren't expecting that, but I'm pretty sure if the Apostle Paul had worked that out, he'd have put it in, you know? You said he'd have called it fivefold one and fivefold two. Why do I mention that? How well are you managing you? How well are you taking care of these five areas of your life? Because here's the thing, it's where your integrity comes from. See, if I, I have somebody come up here and they, they sit up here and I, I counsel them on something, one of those five areas, and I'm weak in it, and I'm telling them, well, you know, for the sake of your health, you should run five miles a day, you should eat a good diet, you know, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink, and I'm sitting here, hugely overweight, barely walked 10 yards, smoking and drinking, I have no integrity. I'm a hypocrite. You see, the world is waiting for Christians with authority, confidence, and integrity. They're waiting for Christians who say what they do and do what they say. And finally, where are you going? That's what this is about. What on earth am I here for? Where are you going? Do you know where you're going? You see, I believe as well that the world is waiting for Christians who have a vision, who know where they're going. They're looking for people who have vision. It's actually where your followers come from. Because if you don't know where you're going, who's going to follow you? But when you know where you're going, you start having people that are saying, I want to come with you. I want to come with you on that journey. That's what the world's looking for. I believe that some of you are going to really get breakthrough through this campaign. A breakthrough in believing your story. A breakthrough in knowing you. A breakthrough in managing you. And a breakthrough in vision. But I want to just come back and pray for some people. And uh, I want to start with regret. Regret is it's horrible. Uh, it's funny, you know, the devil will actually cause you to regret things that when you did them, you didn't have any control over. It's really strange the way it works in your mind. But here's the good news. You matter so much to him, and your past matters so much to him that he's taking care of that regret. See, there is this incredible verse in the Bible. It says there is a repentance without regret. That's extraordinary. Now, here's the problem. Many of us think of repentance and we think, well, there was sin. The guitar's sin. I turn from sin. Here's the problem. If I turn from sin, I'm either going to go that way or that way unless I turn from sin and unto something. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory. You see, there is a repentance without regret. I don't have to look back over my shoulder. There is a repentance without regret. You matter so much to him. Your past matters so much to him that he wants you to repent from it. But not only that, he wants you to take your victories with you. He wants you to take the overcoming. He wants you to take that with you so that you haven't just overcome regret, but you sit in this chair with a life and a past of victory and value that you can give away to other people because you can't do it from there. You can only do it from here. And that's when you can start saying, I beat that thing. I overcame that addiction. I I got victory over that. Instead of going, oh, I regret wasting my life with drugs and drink and stuff like that. No, you become an overcomer. If regret is your problem, if if you're thinking, that's me, I've got that regret thing, I want you to stand and I want to pray for you. There's a whole room full of overcomers rising up. This is a good day. You see, I just want to simply pray. 
that that spirit of repentance will come on you. It's not from sin. It might be, but that's not the big issue. Most Christians don't have trouble repenting from sin. They have trouble repenting unto glory. They have trouble repenting unto the greatness that God has for them. You matter to him. Spirit of repentance, fall on these people. Give them the power and the strength and the courage to step forward into their future and to be fully present and to experience a a past with victory and value that they can embrace in the present. So, Father, I ask that you would do that. Any that have feel like, I wasted my years, I wasted money, I wasted this. I wasted time in prison or drugs or alcohol. I wasted time here. I messed up a marriage. I messed up a relationship. Holy Spirit, come with a spirit of repentance without regret in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And some of you tonight are going to remember good things in your past that you'd forgotten. And you're going to have victories to share on Monday morning. Because I'd forgotten this. But this is what God did. And then there's the future. It's this fear thing. I was given a prophetic word in 2012 that I would preach in stadiums. Crazy word. Didn't really fit me. Didn't really suit me. Didn't line up with anything I'd ever done. But I had a prophecy. When I stepped onto that stage, 2015 in Nuremberg, I had two choices. Fear or a prophecy. And I was able to grab the prophecy. And walk out. And that's what God wants many of you to do this morning. You see, fear will be you imagining a future without God in it. And that's a lie. He's already been there. Oh yeah, it's easy to get there. I really know it's easy to get there. You can start that spiraling thought. The what if. All of those things. But he wants you to take care of it this morning. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. But of love, power and a sound mind. If fear is getting in your way, you've got dreams, you've read the words, you've read that. I have plans for you, plans to bring you a hope and a future. You have prophecies, but you're paralyzed by fear. I want to invite you to stand and I want to pray for you. God didn't give it to you. And I have to tell you this, this is easier to minister to in South Africa than America. Shall I tell you why? They don't understand cricket. Because there's a verse, and Paul said it to Timothy. He said, take the prophetic word. Take the prophetic word and with it fight. Here's what many of us do. We take the prophetic word and we defend. We never move forward. We go on the back foot and we defend. Paul didn't say, take the prophetic word and defend. Paul said, take the prophetic word and with it fight. He said, get on that front foot. Don't defend your stumps. Hit the ball out of the park. Knock that ball of fear for a six. And that's what I want you to do this morning, to take the prophetic words, to take the words of Scripture that say He has a plan for you. He has a hope for you. He has a destiny for you. He knew you before you were born. He's seen your future. He knows who you are. He knows what you'll do. And He wants you. And if you're crazy enough, like the lady down here this morning who grabbed a cricket bat and started knocking that ball out of the park. She wasn't sure if she was left-handed or right-handed, but she was hitting a ball. I want you to swing that bat and knock that fear out of this park in Jesus' name. Go on. Some of you can do that. Grab a bat, a decent-sized bat, you know, and knock it out of the park. Go on. Swing it. Just knock it out. God didn't give it to you. Get rid of that fear. 
God didn't give it to you. He gave you a prophecy. He gave you that prophecy. And Paul said, take the prophetic word and with it, fight. You may be seated. And some of you, here's what you need to do. Get those words back out. Find those prophecies. Get them out of your notebook. Get that little, that little post-it in your Bible. Pull it out and remind yourself, God said. God said. My wife and I have one of those at the moment. We could go to fear. And, and we could. But God said. And we're trusting him for it. We're believing him for it. We're believing that that breakthrough will come. And so there's regret. We dealt with that. And there's fear of the future. But then there's shame. Comparison. I know I've ministered to this here, but not in this context before. You see, you matter to God. He wants you present. He wants you fully present. See, shame means that I'm not present. It means I'm hiding. It's actually illustrated in the story of Cinderella. Because Cinderella's in shame. Her identity is in her, what she does. She's the maid of the ashes. That's what it means. She's hiding until, of course, the prince comes and gives her a, golden sli- a glass slipper and reminds her of who she is. In a way, that's what I want to do this morning. I want you to put that glass slipper back on your foot to remind yourself who you really are. You don't need to walk in shame. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. You don't need to compare yourself with someone else. You're you with your unique calling, with your unique ability, with your unique group of people. Don't compare yourself. You know, one of the worst things that we can do in the church is come to church and compare ourselves with the guy or girl with the microphone and think that we're less valuable because of what we do. We're receptionists or we're we're doctors, nurses, or we're teachers. We're, we're, We're mums raising our kids and we think we're not as valuable. But we need to stop doing that. You matter to God. And you'll reach people that we'll never reach. And you'll speak to people we'll never speak to. And you'll touch lives that we'll never touch. And you'll solve problems that we'll never even come close to. And I want to take care of that shame this morning. And if shame is you, if, that, if as you heard me say that, you thought, that's me. That shame thing. I want to invite you to stand. And the good news about shame, you deal with it by standing up. Because that's all that God required of Adam. Where are you? Where are you? Shame is dealt with by authenticity, by being vulnerable, by overcoming the fear of the person next to you wondering why you're standing up. You dealt with your shame. And the really good news, and honestly, you can stand at any time. If you're thinking, ah, that's me, I should have stood. Don't let shame keep you sitting down. The really good news is that the Bible says, instead of shame, a double portion. Instead of shame, a double portion. He bore your sorrow and your shame on the cross. You matter to him. He wants you in the chair. He wants you present. So he dealt with your shame so that you could be fully present. Receive your double portion. It's simply this, that you stop living in shame. You stop comparing yourself. You stop thinking, oh, my husband probably wishes I was someone else. So you try and be someone else. And you miss the fact that your husband married you. He doesn't want you trying to be someone else. So receive your double portion. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. You see, the goal of our lives, you came in here with a past. You came in here with a future. And hopefully you were present. But I believe that some of you are more present now than you were at the beginning. 
You see, I'm meant to come in here and embrace my past. My past of victory and value. And bring it into the present. And it becomes a testimony that I give away to people and say, you know, God did this for me. He can do it for you. And I come in here with my arm around my future. No fear. Confidently stepping into what God has prepared for me to step into. Don't compare yourself. Don't live in shame. Don't live in regret. Don't live in fear. Live present. Be you. And as I close, I'll do it very briefly because I know the time is ticking away. But When I came back from America, I said to God, is there one last thing you want me to learn living in America for 15 years? He said, yeah, I do. You see, the taxi drivers in New York, they'll tell you they're going to change the world. There's this confidence thing in America. At times, some people suggest it's arrogance. That's, that's not my job to judge or question. But I do know something. There is a confidence. And God said, I want you to go back. And wherever you go, I want you to talk about being confident. And he gave me the Bible verses of Jesus, who returned to Nazareth. And just like we were returning to England, where we grew up. Jesus returned to Nazareth, where he grew up, it says. And he stood up. And he took the scroll. And he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. You know, the funny thing is, I preach this in Europe and I preach it here. I guarantee you this. Don't take it as a criticism. I'll guarantee you if I was preaching this in America, you'd be standing up by now. You see, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you because he has anointed you. He's anointed you to preach good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring release to the captives and freedom to the prisoners and to declare this is the favorable year of our God. And one courageous lady chose to stand up and I want to invite the rest of you to join her. What a song we sung before this. I wish I could remember the exact word, that word that says revive us. What is it? Sivusalele. What a great word that is. What a great word. I need to remember it. Sivusalele. You see, that's our assignment. That's our assignment. Revival is our assignment. And here's my prayer. Father, give us the courage and the boldness to overcome regret, to overcome fear, to overcome shame, and to stand up where we were brought up and to take the book and say, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to prisoners and release to captives and declare this is the favorable year of our God. Amen.